0: Morning Seabreeze. it's good to see everyone today if you uh, travel much you've probably seen cards like this one project on the screen in most of the bathrooms of the hotel these days I remember the first time I saw one of this card in a bathroom in a hotel I was shocked to think that uh, the key to saving the planet was uh, the hotel bathrooms of the world and then I, I read the fine print and noticed oh they're they're wanting me to reuse you know my towel and um, I think you know it's a great idea to save water but it seemed to me just to be a little bit overstated, that if I you know, reuse my towel, I'm I'm saving the planet. And I know if everybody does things like this, it, it really helps save water, and that's a, a very valuable resource. So I understand the logic behind it, but it seems like it's just a, a little bit overstated. And I know one of the reasons the hotels got behind this because they save a lot of money by doing this as well, is in addition to saving the entire planet. And the question that we're going to be addressing in this series is how to make a world of difference. And the reason cards like this show up is, is because we, we really have a sense down deep inside that we're supposed to be making kind of a global-sized difference. And if, you know, using our towel one more day can do that, well, then we're all for that. and That'll motivate us to do that. We, we sense that the world really does need saving in a variety of ways and that we're supposed to have a role to play in that. One of my early attempts to make a world of difference occurred when I was about 20, I was living in the Detroit, Michigan area at the time, and together with a few of my friends during one of our summer breaks, we decided to, to really try to make a difference in one of the poor neighborhoods of Detroit. So we offered to do some yard work and some odd jobs for some of the elderly folks in this particular neighborhood, and uh, we started doing this work, and it was well-received. And I remember one day, one of the men that we were helping asked me, um, said he didn't have any food, he was hungry, and he asked me for, for $20. Uh, He wanted to go buy some food and so you know back then twenty dollars was a lot of money to me But I went ahead and gave him twenty dollars because well, we're trying to make a difference And I watched that man take that twenty dollars and walk into the local liquor store just across the street And he came out with twenty dollars worth of lottery tickets And at that point I discovered that saving the world was just a little more complicated than I thought it was. I mean, I, I was glad that I gave him the money, and I've given money to help people who are hungry before, but I, I discovered at that point that it, it's a complicated set of problems that we have in this world, and I was pretty disillusioned by that experience, and I know that I'm not alone for those kinds of experiences. Maybe you've, like me, in different ways, you, you really tried to step up, and, and, and you found some kind of disappointment. It didn't really seem to work as well as you thought, and this kind of thing happens, and What tends to occur over time is we stop believing that saving the world is is really possible, or more importantly, that we really have any vital role to play in an endeavor that's that audacious. So making a world of difference is kind of pushed to the back and and maybe relegated to the realm of of fantasy. A nice idea, something that we know should be done, and we applaud, you know, wealthy people and celebrities and governments who are doing things in the world that look like it's gonna make a world of difference. But We settle for just living small, comfortable lives. Now, some of you may have noticed uh, the artwork that's being used for this message series is based on one of the most popular video games of all time. The name of this game is Minecraft, and it has over 100 million registered users playing this game. In fact, it's so popular that about a year and a half ago, Microsoft bought this game for $2.5 billion. That's how popular this game is. Now, this game, if you've never played it, it allows you to build a world using three-dimensional cubes. There's all kinds of game activities, things like uh, exploration, resource gathering, uh, combat, crafting, and many other activities. Now, why is one of the most popular video games of all time uh, a world-building game? Well, I think it's, again, because it's what we were created for. We have a sense down deep inside that... We're supposed to build a world. We're supposed to really make that kind of a difference. And if we can't do it in reality, well, then maybe at least we can do it in fantasy world. But what I'm saying in this series is that we don't have to settle for the fantasy world of video games or for overhyping the water that we save by reusing a towel. We, We can play a significant role in saving this world. Now, our guide for this series is the book of Jonah. It's a small little four-chapter book in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. It's about a man that God used to save a city of around 200,000 people, about the size of Huntington Beach. And like most people, Jonah had settled for a comfortable life. He was not concerned about the world beyond him. He was just pretty much concerned about himself and the people that were close to him. Now, Jonah, if you've read the book or you've recognized the name, you probably recognize it for the fish story that's attached to... Uh, the Jonah story. Jonah is swallowed by a great fish, we are told, most likely a whale, and he spends three days in the belly of that fish before it spits him out onto dry land. Now, fish stories, of course, as a category of stories, are known for their exaggeration. Whenever someone goes on a fishing trip and they come back, they usually describe the size of the fish and different things, and, and you kind of understand that they're, they're exaggerating, you know, what the size of the fish was that they caught or what the experience was or how long the fish was on the line. So fish stories are, are known for exaggeration, not accuracy. So they're, they're always met with a degree of skepticism. But as fish stories go, this one is a doozy. I mean, just imagine the first time Jonah tells this story. You can just see the eyes rolling. People saying, there's no way that can happen. We, we read that story and we think that, that's just impossible. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that cartoons, that, that stuff happens to Pinocchio. It doesn't happen to real people. This, isn't, this can't be a real story. And one of the problems that you have with this story is that no one saw this amazing event. I mean, we'll read the first chapter of this book in a little while and you'll notice, well, the sailors were there and they, they could verify, they could corroborate the fact that they threw Jonah into the ocean in the middle of a storm and They were far from land, and so there was probably no way he could have survived, and well, here he is, so somehow he was saved. But no one saw the fish. The whale swallowed Jonah, and no one was inside that fish for three days, and Jonah alive in there to to verify it. So all we really have, it appears to be, is a story, a fish story, a story that's hard to believe. But then 900 years after this event occurs, someone steps forward and says, I saw it, and that someone is Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in Matthew 12, verse 40. He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, that's the term that Jesus used to refer to himself, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So in this one statement, not only did Jesus vouch for the accuracy of this story, He says there's far more to this story than just the content of the events that happened 900 years previous or, from our perspective, 3,000 years ago now. Jonah is, is the introduction to the greatest of all stories. Now, what Jesus is saying is if you think that's surprising, if you think it's surprising that a man could be swallowed by a whale that size, and live inside that whale well for three days and then have that whale well spit that man alive out onto dry ground, if you think that's surprising, where do you see what happens to me? That I'm going to go into the belly of the earth for three days. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. And then I'm not just going to be spit out on dry land. I, I'm, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to walk out of that too. Now that is an amazing story. Now, Jonah is not just a story about a man who ran from God and went to sea and was swallowed by a whale and eventually did what God wanted to do. The Jonah story really is a template of the larger story that God is writing in this world. It's a story of of God's grace and the power that that grace has to change the world. And in this story, we see in Jonah the embodiment of four reasons that even still today, and even with you and me, these four reasons still today keep us from making a world of difference. Four chapters, four reasons. Let me just summarize them for you quickly as we begin. Reason number one is we run from God. That's in chapter one. We, we get busy with our own lives and we don't want to get into what God wants us to do and we don't want to join his plan. Reason number two is we ignore God's grace. We, we latch onto something else and we live our lives based on that rather than the amazing and powerful grace of God. And then in chapter three, reason number three is we don't care about others. We get selfish. Maybe we're discouraged or life has been hard and we decide, you know, if I'm not going to take care of myself, nobody will. And we decide that our life is pretty much about us. And so we build small but comfortable little lives for ourselves and we don't get involved in what God wants us to do beyond ourselves. And then the last reason is we just get angry at God. We get mad at God for something that's happened in our life or for the way God is allowing the flow of history to to happen. A variety of reasons. We we just get angry and we turn like little two-year-olds and we sit down and we pout and we check out of what God wants us to do in being involved in saving this world. So today we're going to look at chapter number one and I want you to I want to invite you to go ahead and read along with me. We're not going to project this on the screen. We're going to read chapter 1, and so you can use the Bibles uh, in front of you, if you want, that are in the uh, chairs at the bottom in front of you. If you'd like to do that, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen as I read. Of course, we don't have enough Bibles for everyone, so you can look onto your neighbors. Uh, to save you a lot of time, it's page 774. Finding four chapters in the middle of the Old Testament, even if you really know the Bible well, can take a while. <laughs> So I'll save you a lot of time, in, in these Bibles, it's page number 774, so we're going to read uh, Jonah chapter 1, uh, the first chapter, 17 verses, 1 through 17. So I'm going to go ahead and begin Jonah chapter 1, page 774. Either listen to me as I read this story, or you can follow along as I read it. So here we go, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered up a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's the end of chapter 1. If, you, um, if you've lived in Southern California for very long, you, you've probably had the experience of turning on the television to watch something and finding a high-speed police pursuit being broadcast on all the major channels. Uh, If you've lived here very long, we've all had this experience. And I don't know about you, but whenever that happens to me, it's kind of a, oh no, now I'm stuck. (laughs) However long this is going to last, it's really hard for me to turn those things off. Why? (laughs) Well, there's just a tremendous amount of drama. I mean, it's you know, there's just a lot at stake in these high-speed chases. I mean, there's the safety of the public, of course, that's in stake. You watch, at stake, you watch the, the person, you know, run around, do all kinds of crazy things. In fact, this is the last one. This was a low-speed pursuit, which is a very interesting one. Um, but there's usually a lot of danger that's involved in these, the safety of the public, the safety of the officers in pursuit, the safety of the suspects or the people that they have in the vehicles with them. And nobody knows how it's going to end. I mean, where it's going to end and how it's going to end and whether there's going to be violence or it's going to be a quiet ending. And so we're, we're glued to this kind of pursuit. The book of Jonah is about a different kind of pursuit. It's a pursuit that goes on every single day. And it involves the highest of all drama. And that is God's pursuit of people in this world. And much is at stake when God pursues us. Eternal lives are hanging in the balance in this pursuit. Now, of course, these pursuits are not televised. And so we, we don't know, we can't see a lot of what's going on in these pursuits. But God has recorded a few of them, and one of them is in the book of Jonah. Now, the pursuer, or the pursuit rather, is either of us individually or of the people around us, or as it is in the case of Jonah, both. God is pursuing Jonah, and through Jonah, he's pursuing the sailors on that ship, and then he's pursuing the entire city of Nineveh, as we'll read later. Now, every pursuit is unique, but they all go through three stages. I want to identify the three stages that we see in chapter 1. And what we're seeing in this story is, is God kind of peeling back the curtain and showing us what's going on in these pursuits. Stage number one is this, God disrupts. God does something to disrupt the life of the person he is pursuing. Police chases always begin when the driver sees the lights go on behind them. Now, again, I'm I'm imagining that many of us in this room have had that experience. And whenever you you look in your rearview mirror, you hear the siren, you notice that the lights are on behind you, no one responds with, oh, that's great. This is exactly what I had planned today. You know, I was wanting to to talk with a police officer. Now I don't have to go to the police station. They're coming to me right here. it's service with a smile and and I'll, I'll just pull over and we'll have the conversation I've been wanting nobody does that every time that happens it's no what did I do what's going on the lights are a disruption to whatever you were planning to do now most people of course pull over when the police turn the lights on but a few take off and when they do well then the pursuit is on so in Jonah's case Jonah was well probably minding his own business we really don't know what he was doing before But all of a sudden, we read at the beginning that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. So the lights, in a sense, went on. Not visible lights. God doesn't use visible lights, but Jonah's life was disrupted. And it wasn't just Jonah's life that was disrupted. We don't know what Jonah had planned on doing, but it wasn't going to Nineveh. And God disrupted Jonah's life. And through Jonah, God began several disruptions. Disruptions kind of you know, shockwaves of it went out from Jonah. The sailors on the ship that Jonah bought passage on, they had their lives disrupted. The city of Nineveh that Jonah eventually went to is turned upside down. Now, the question is, why does God do this? Why, why doesn't God just leave us be? Just let us go on our ways and let us live our lives and just leave us alone. Well, the reason God doesn't do this is because of our sin. And it's not just because he he wants to pull us over and give us a ticket. It's because he wants to change our lives. You see, God knows that sin isn't just kind of a list of moral failures on our part that God's keeping track of. God knows that that sin has its consequences, that it literally rips apart lives. And it it ripples out. It it, it affects the lives that are connected to the person who's involved in this particular sin. It, It affects... Our life, and it affects eventually all of eternity. And God just won't stand by and watch that kind of thing happen. So he disrupts our lives. And in this case, he disrupted Jonah, who disrupted others. Nineveh, the place that God wanted Jonah to go, was the capital of Assyria, which at this time was the, the dominant empire in the world. And it was a, a pretty much an entire city of idol worshipers. And this form of idol worship was so horrible that they would literally offer their children to this idol to try to get favor from the gods. And so this is an example of of how a lie, a sin, just destroys all kinds of things. And God was not going to stand by and watch that. So God, in preparation for Jonah's arrival, allowed a series of military setbacks to the Assyrian army to occur and kind of humbled and and put some fear into the hearts of the Assyrians. And then he sent Jonah to warn them and to inform them who he really was, that he was not an idol and that they needed to stop this. And the story of Jonah is is not just a one-time event. This is not a, a unique occurrence. It really is a look, as I said, behind the curtain of what God is doing all the time throughout the entire world. Now, we, we really can't see all the intricacies of what God's doing. We get to see it in Jonah, but we, we see disruption going on around the world and we, we watch it and we think, oh, it's horrible. Oh, no. And it is horrible. But oftentimes, not we, we just don't know for sure what's going, but oftentimes behind the disruption, God is pursuing lives. He's pulling people over and he's giving them a chance to turn their hearts to him. You know, right now, Probably the biggest area of disruption in our world is in the Middle East. I mean, the Middle East is in tremendous turmoil right now. And the turmoil from that region of the world is spilling out into, well, into the entire world right now. Why why is there so much disruption in the Middle East? Well, I don't know. I don't know all of what's going on in that. But as in Jonah's time, what I do know is this, God is pursuing the people of this world. And there's some interesting things that are happening in the Middle East right now that will is not, not reported in your local news or the national news. I mean right now, there there's an organization that tries to get Bibles into countries that where Bibles are not allowed, and, and there is a tremendous they report that there is a tremendous hunger and appetite right now for Bibles in two major portions of the world in Syria and in Palestine. They they cannot get enough Bibles in there. People want to read Bibles. And you know that the the nation in the world where the Christian faith is growing faster than any other nation in the world, you know where that nation is? Iran. Iran. There's more people turning to Jesus Christ in Iran per capita than any other part of the world. There's tremendous persecution if you make that decision, but there's more people doing it per capita than in this nation than any other nation in the world. So, like Jonah, we, we are called to join God in this great pursuit, wherever we are. But if, like Jonah, we are content to enjoy the blessing of God, but, but we're not willing to share it, then God will, at a time of his choosing, disrupt our lives, just like he did Jonah's. Now, he's done this many, many times to me. I mean, we all want to get to the point where our lives are fairly comfortable, and so for me, oftentimes, just about the time I'm, I'm getting somewhat comfortable, he goes and disrupts another part of my life. And he's not doing it just to irritate me. He's doing it because he knows what's at stake is this world. What's at stake is not my comfort. What's at stake is this world. And God is a master at choosing the times and the tools that are most effective. I mean, in Jonah's time, what, what better way to reach sailors who are idol worshippers? than through a storm at sea. I mean, they're praying to their idols, and absolutely nothing is happening. And then they find out that Jonah worships not an idol, but the God that created everything, and just that idea kind of freaks them out. (laughs) And then Jonah says, throw me into the ocean, and and it'll calm. And they throw him in the ocean, and instantly it goes calm. They, They now have been introduced to the true God. I mean, what better way to get through the sailors than... That like a storm at sea. Or what better way to get through to Nineveh than through the military setbacks that humbled them? Now, disruption, whenever God does disruption, it, it's very risky. When God pursued Jonah, it, it actually put lives at risk. It's the same thing with police pursuits. Whenever the police pursuits pursues, cause injury, it always sparks a debate. And the debate is, should they pursue at all? Is it worth the risk? I mean, what, what difference does one pursuit make in the overall crime rate? Well the issue is this: is, if you don't pursue lawbreakers, then what you're saying is neither they nor the law they broke really matters. And if, if God didn't pursue us, and if He just kind of let the world be, go on its merry way, He would be saying that neither us nor His laws are important, and that's just not the case. So at a time of His choosing, God will disrupt. He'll turn on the lights.) <laughs> He'll sense the disruption in your life, and he'll initiate a pursuit because we really matter, and his, his word really matters. So that's stage number one, God disrupts. Stage number two is as soon as we sense God in pursuit, we tend to divert. We, we start running. Those who are being pursued by the police usually keep changing their direction. It's always interesting. You know. They're, they're making split-second decisions, and they're just, sometimes they're doing the craziest things. It's because they're they're trying to lose the pursuit. Now, we tend to do the same thing with God. When God begins to pursue, we we change directions. This is what Jonah did. He he got on a ship heading which direction? The exact opposite direction of Nineveh. Now, it's it's pretty hilarious when you think of that. It's like, what was Jonah thinking? That God wouldn't be able to to notice this that if if he if the ship was fast enough that God wouldn't be able to keep up or would never find Jonah. I mean, of course, that's ridiculous. What's wrong with Jonah and his thinking? Well, Jonah's just like us. We think that we can outmaneuver God. And whenever God begins to pursue us, we we tend to try to outmaneuver him, usually in two ways. We we do it by running externally, and if that doesn't work, then we tend to do it by running internally. Let me explain what I mean by both of these. First of all, we run externally. You know, when disruption comes, we we look for something to that's external, not us. Some 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 person, some event outside of us to blame. And so, in other words, the idea is something clearly needs to change, but it's not us, it's our surroundings. So, we change jobs, we change locations, we move, we change relationships. But it's not like God says, No, where'd they go? That doesn't throw God off. He pursues us to our new locations and in our new relationships. I mean, He sent a storm after Jonah. Now, it is okay to move. It's okay to change jobs. It's okay to move to a different location. Just make sure that you're not moving because you're running from God. If you do that, you're going to waste a lot of money. God will. He'll be able to keep up. He'll catch you. So if our external running isn't really an option for us, so we don't want to run externally or it's not working, then we tend to run internally. Jonah couldn't get away from God externally because God, well, God sent a storm. So as soon as the storm came, Jonah realized, okay, <laughs> this isn't working. God's really going to pursue me here. So what does Jonah do? He runs away on the inside. What do I mean by that? Well, listen to Jonah's response to the storm. It's really interesting. Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. This is in the New International Version translation. It says, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep in the middle of the storm. Then the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? That's a great question. I mean, how how literally can he sleep? I mean, everyone's on deck fighting for their lives. And Jonah's fast asleep. He's not just pretend sleeping, he's actually asleep. It's unnatural. So everyone's fighting to stay alive, but not Jonah. Why? He didn't care anymore. He he was resigned. This is how the heart runs. You can, God can pursue us, but it's our heart that has to decide whether or not we are going to yield to him. Our heart can become hard. We can just grow hard on the inside and defiant and say, I don't care. Kill me then. And this is really what Jonah did. He didn't want to change. Jonah decided he'd rather die than follow God. So he goes on to say, throw me into the sea. I don't care. I won't yield. This is amazing insight into how the human heart is just not going to yield unless it wants to. I mean, someone can put a gun to your head and you can say, shoot them. We're designed to be free. We can defy even God. So God ratchets up the pressure and sends a great fish. You know, Jonah thought he was going to end this all by just dying and God said, "No, nah, I'm going to give you three more days to think this one through." <laughs> Whenever I watch the police pursuits on TV, I, I never understand why they think they can get away from the police. I mean, the absurdity of running is obvious. They have helicopters. You know, with with lights and and heat seeking devices and radar and all kind and there's lots of them and 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 they're everywhere what what are they thinking but i actually met a guy and was friends with a guy for a while he was actually part of seabreeze that was part of one of the the more infamous chases here in orange county on our motorcycle and he said you know one of the things that happens is it it just all you can think of is i just gotta run you're not thinking clearly you just don't want to be caught and you bolt that's what kicks in just that instinct to run and this is the same kind of thing with us and God our our first impulse sometimes is when we don't want to yield is like I just I got to I got to run we run externally we run internally but then eventually we get to stage 3 and that is we decide God catches us and then we have to decide Police pursuits always end when the suspect is taken into custody. This is a picture of a local police pursuit that I absolutely love. There's evidence of they had a lot of fun for just a few seconds, and I hope they enjoyed the donuts that they were doing in that car, because life now is going to be real different for these four. So eventually the suspects are taken into custody. They're handcuffed. But the thing about the way God pursues is this. The the human heart, the way God's designed it, is it cannot be handcuffed. As I said, I mean, it can just say, well, then kill me. I'm not going to yield. So the human heart can't be handcuffed. On that ship and in that fish, Jonah's heart was free. He could do whatever he wanted to do. So the goal of God's pursuit is always to force a clear decision, but not an outcome. God will never handcuff us and say, now you're a follower of me. That's not the kind of followers that God wants. That's not really following. Following is a free choice where we yield our heart to him and we accept the forgiveness that's offered through his son Jesus Christ and we begin to do life his way. That's a free decision. So whenever God pursues us, he will bring us to the point where we will either clearly turn our backs on him or we will bow our hearts to him. He'll get us into that moment where we, we will have to just say no and we leave or we will yield and we'll say yes but the choice is ours. God doesn't use handcuffs. Jonah knew that he was a dead man when they threw him into that ocean, but God gave him time, a three-day miracle, to think it over, to consider his choice. God knows humanity is, is rushing off the cliff of eternal destruction one day at a time. And Rather than just stand back and watch this, he interrupts our plans and he pulls us over so that we might have time to consider our future. And if we say no then he lets us go on our way. And sometimes that may be the very last time he's pursued us. Other times, at another time of his choosing, he'll initiate another pursuit and he'll give us yet another chance to say yes or no. We never know how many times God's going to initiate a pursuit. It's always wise to say yes at the point of decision. Because if, if you bow your heart now, then you will find a Father. But if you bow like everyone will bow in the next life, then you will find a judge. It's our choice. So if you want to make a world of difference, the lesson of chapter 1 in Jonah is don't run from God. Give your heart freely to Jesus and follow him. And, And then when God prompts you to speak up about him to others, don't run the opposite direction, either externally or internally. You know, go ahead and walk across the room to strike up that conversation when you're prompted. Yeah, I, just, I, should, I should go strike up a conversation, see where it goes. Or cross the street of your neighborhood and introduce yourself to your neighbor or have a further conversation with them. Make an investment in their life. Or step out of your comfort zone and actually let people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe... Offer to pray for them or just tell them that you're praying for them. That's a big risk. But you see, God wants to use us to pursue the people of this world. And he's put you in the jobs that he's put you, in the neighborhoods he's put you, in the family that he's put you. Because he's not only pursuing you, he's pursuing the people that you come in contact with. This is the great story that's behind every story that's being written right now. So I have some next steps for you to consider as we wrap up today. These are on the back of your connection card, upper left-hand corner, as well as the bottom of the listening guide. Step number one, this one's obvious. Stop running. If you're running, stop running. If God is pursuing, you won't see the lights, but you're going to feel the disruption. If that's happening, stop running. I mean, maybe you've never bowed your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never made that decision. Well, it's time to stop running. Maybe you have bowed your heart in the past at some point, but now you're running again. Stop running. The second one is ask God to pursue three people. So choose three people in your circle of influence or contact and ask God to begin to pursue them. Now, don't tell them, okay? Don't tell them, hey, hey, I've asked God to start chasing you. Let me know if it gets really uncomfortable. No, don't do that. Just, just pray for them. Ask God to pursue three people and ask for a chance to maybe be a part of that, that pursuit of God. And then lastly, I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah. We've read chapter one together. We're going to be going through the rest of the chapters, and I would encourage you during this series just to, to read the book of Jonah a few times. It's a great story. It's a template of what God wants to do in your life and in this world. So I encourage you to read that, uh, the book of Jonah this week. So let's pray. Father, we, um, <clears throat> we are so grateful that you did not leave us on our own, that you pursued each one of us. Many of us have bowed our hearts to you and we now are followers of you. But we thank you for the people that you use, what they said at the right time, the situations that uh, we were surrounded by that allowed, um, allowed us to come to the point of making a decision about you. And now... We know that you invite us to be part of this great pursuit of those around us. In Pretty much every direction we look, whether it's in our family or it's in our neighborhoods or it's on our jobs or in this community, we see people who are building their own comfortable lives, who um, have little to no interest in building a relationship with you and repairing their broken relationship with you. So God, we pray that you would disrupt. We pray that you would disrupt this community and the people in this community. And that you would give us the chance to to step up and say something and to step up and help and to cross rooms and cross streets and cover the distance to get involved in your great pursuit. This world really does need to change. And you're the only one that has the power to do that. So we offer ourselves to you to be a part of this. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.